Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli, and if I was on a token, I would be a 1-1 goblin. I'm Lorelai Weisel, and if I was on a token, I would be a 1-1 blue camarade. I'm Brian Dawes, and if I were on a token, I'd be a 1-1 elf. I'm Ashley Barrow, and if I was on a token, I would be a 3-2 Eldrazi. I'm Carrie Thomas, and if I was on a token, I would be a 1-1 white spirit token with flying. So, you know, it's interesting that we all talked about it like that, since we have commissioned artwork from the great Dios boss of all of us that'll be both a playmat and tokens of each of us as those creatures uh, coming out pretty soon. We don't have a definitive timeline yet, but we're going to start. We just got the art in, so we're going to share it with our live listeners here. And if you're listening to this not live, we will share the low-res version with all of you on Twitter. Uh, So our live listeners are freaking out right now. (laughs) I will be working on the commemorative plate. (laughs) When you get the higher res art, well, and we can share some of this, there are some great references in there. There are a lot of in-jokes hidden in the artwork, if you're paying attention. I love this thing so much. Me too. I was gobsmacked when I saw it. If you have been listening to the Vorthos cast for a long time, there's lots of good in-jokes. If you have known us as content creators for a while, there's a lot of really good specific in-jokes. Some of the stuff is more recent. Um, like, this is years worth of internet cachet paying off onto one really cool image. I'm very happy with this. It's so good. So, yeah, we've already priced out what it would cost. We're going to gauge interest for an initial print run. I'll I'll throw a poll up on Twitter next week. And then once we get an idea of how many people would actually want one of these, uh, we'll follow up and at what price price point they would want. And I I figure we should probably mention our Twitter is at the Vorthos cast because, you know, good information. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's (laughs) we know how to run a show. (laughs) oh we're terrible at this okay let's move on to our feature of the week for those of you listening you have seen the entirety of modern horizons previewed but when we're recording we have a good 50 or so cards left to go so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about the legends in modern horizons and then next week we'll talk about the not legends in modern horizons let's start real quick with the only reprint legend kess dissident mage who was originally a commander product from the tribal commander which was i think 2017 kess is a living mage and an older woman on grixis and it's not easy to live to old age on grixis so you have to know she's powerful So she hoards this, which is like the essence of life energy that is just kind of there in the environment because everything is dying and redying and undying. So uh, the the entire shard of Grixis kind of trades in this life energy. And and Kess lives in one of the last remnants of civilization where Viss is, is pretty strong. So she, she hoards it for herself, and it's made her a very powerful wizard. Um, and, and her bio talks about her seeking to restore what was lost. 
which, given the fact that she's a human on Grixis, probably means the ancient Vithian culture, who were caught up in Grixis during the Sundering and got to watch the entire world around them die and undie and redie and come back to life to be killed again. And in a united Alara, it's probably going to be easier to rebuild the Vithian civilization. So I, that's kind of what they're hinting at with Kess. I don't, I don't know if they're ever going to actually do anything with her, but it would be cool. She seems neat. She's, she's the only reprint on this list, um, and there will be non-foil versions of her available for the first time, so that's sweet. The next card we want to talk about was our preview card, Merit Lage's Slumber. It's finally Merit Lage! <laughs> so we already did a whole 10-minute episode on Merit Lage for our preview episode last week, so go ahead and check that out. Uh, it's called, I believe, It's Finally Merit Lage or something along those lines. Yes. Yes, the episode is Modern Horizons Preview, It's Finally Merit Lage. We'll link to it. It has pretty much all the information that exists on a character who has been around for 24 years and has done almost nothing. But uh, <laughs> I, I also tell the anecdote of how this is the, the longest con I have ever perpetrated on this show, the... Uh, if you want to know partially why It's Never Merit Lage is one of this podcast's catchphrases, it's because of this card. <laughs> so the next one is my personal favorite card in the entire set because Pashalik Mons has been on my list of characters I wanted for a while now. There aren't a lot of goblins in Magic that don't already have cards. So Pashalik Mons appearing all the way back in flavor text on Mons Goblin Raiders in Alpha was something that always appealed to me. Mons's uh, flavor text says the thunderhead that leads in the storm. And that is a reference to the uh, original Mons Goblin Raiders uh, flavor text, which talks about the intricate dynamics of Runtvelt goblin affairs, are often confused with anarchy. The chaos, however, is the chaos of a thundercloud, and direction will sporadically and violently appear. Pashalik Mons and his raiders are the thunderhead that leads in the storm. So if, if you don't know already, because for some reason you haven't heard me talking about it at every living instant of my life. Um, I was on the creative text team for the set, and uh, this is this is one of the kind of deep cut references that we did. There's a lot of them in the set. This one was a obviously a direct reference back to this flavor text, and it was so cool to to do stuff like this. So, so I hope the people who are big for those nerds enjoy a lot of the things like that that appear in this set. His name also appeared in, like, one of the rarest magic cards ever, which I believe was only given out at a Gen Con. I'm pretty sure that was Dragon Con. Oh, it was given out one other place. That is in one of the Duelist issues, because I have a copy of it still pasted to the inside of one of the pages. Oh, and yeah, that card is Nalathni Dragon, which has the flavor text, these small but intelligent dragons, and their... Olesian allies held back the tide of Pashalik Mons's hordes of goblin raiders. And so we don't actually know where Runtvelt is or where the Nalathni is or Olesia, 
but uh, we know they were in a rivalry at some point in Magic's past. Wait, Orlesia? That's in Dragon Age. No, that's... Isn't that Orlesia, not Olesia? Well, it's Orle, but anyway. The joke is done. The joke died. <laughs> I'm sorry. These are all... These are all places on Dominaria. If you if you want to find out exactly where they are, go ask Ethan Fleischer because he probably knows. And if he doesn't, he will tell you that we don't know, and that will be unsatisfying. And then you will have to ask him to decide where they are one day. So the last card that uh, Pashalik Mons is referred to in full is Goblin War Chief. From Dominaria, which referenced him, which got me really excited and got him back at the top of my list, uh, not since the days of Pashalik Mons have the Runtvelt goblins been so united or effective. And it's just very cool to see this character appear again. Mons Goblin Raiders were riffed on with Mons Goblin Waiters in one of the unsets. This is an interesting card because originally the character was kind of a vanity character for Mons Johnson, who loves goblins, was a friend of Richard Garfield, probably is still a friend of Richard Garfield, and has been a longtime member of Magic's R&D. And I'm really happy this got made. So, you know, back at the beginning of Magic, they had some problems with a lot of people kind of inserting themselves or their friends into magic cards or magic flavor text. So they put a kibosh on that for, for a long time. But characters that were already created that way, like Nevenural and uh, Pashalik Mons, are now kind of fair game, even though they originally started that way. And that's how we get such a cool card like Pashalik Mons, which is an amazing combination of a better Boggart shenanigans and Goblin Warrens. Our next card is Sarah the Benevolent, who we talked about briefly um, a while back. But Sarah the Benevolent is a planeswalker who hails from way back in Magic's history. Um, she created her home, her own realm, and was basically the creator of Legions of Angels and upheld her plane as a pinnacle of beauty and perfection out in the multiverse. Um, it was a locus of white mana, and it was her being basically that kept it together um and when she fled her plane um after um urza came and corrupted it with black mana or phyrexia like he basically brought taints of phyrexia to her plane and it started to collapse she fled the plane and caused it to start to collapse basically phyrexia was following urza and zancha zancha brought this taint or and other phyrexian sleeper agents started to infiltrate the plane and they corrupted the mind of her Archangel Radiant. And again, it, it makes me beg the question, how are these sleepers getting to planes where they shouldn't have been able to get to? Anyway, so after leaving said plane, she made her way to Old Grotha, where she fell in love with Faraz, and she stayed there with him until he dies in a freak accident um, in his lab or something. And she flees and goes to Dominaria, where she is attacked by a random person, a random planeswalker, and instead of healing herself, she allows herself to die, and she imbues the land where she begins to fade with her power and fades out of existence. Where she died is still a locus of 
powerful mana and where angels are still created and that's where we got oh jesus what's her name tiana tiana yes angels still are created there and it's still a and she's still worshipped as a god even though people know she was a planeswalker sarah's card is very cool it depicts her on sarah's realm uh i had kind of hoped for a bant sarah but this depicts her early on when she is more mono white when you see her in like the homeland stuff a lot of the stuff associated with sarah is more bant colored so white but blue and green as well I hope I'll hope for that one day because a lot of the cards printed in this are characters from a specific time in their life, and we'll get to those other ones a little bit later. But yeah, Sarah is another one of those characters who has had their name on magic cards since Alpha and only just now finally gets a card. So we did a whole episode last year about Sarah. Uh, you can check that out from one of our, it's one of our very early episodes about the Church of Sarah and everything that goes into Sarah. And we'll link that along with this podcast so you can give it a listen. Our next character we want to talk about is probably one of my favorite cards in the whole set, Sisse Weatherlight Captain. Oh my goodness. Like, Sisse already had a pretty good card. A really good card. This is fantastic. Not, not to get too much into mechanics here. But Sisse's new card allows her to be, gives her the color identity to lead a coalition deck. So you can have like every Weatherlight crew member ever in a Sisse deck now because of the colors here, which is not something that was really flavorfully uh, able to be done before. Real quick on Sisse's history. Uh, we start with her in Mirage. She's kind of a background character where the Weatherlight and Sisse, who is from Jamora, which is where Mirage takes place. They She shows up with her first mate, Tangarth, uh, and helps the heroes cross through this jungle in order to save uh, Mangara. She's kind of a bit character there, but she is, she is mentioned. Uh, and the Weatherlight saves the day. We learn more in the next set, which is Tempest. The Tempest block is where we learn that Sisse was leading the crew after these mysterious artifacts called the Legacy, which were created by the Planeswalker Urza. Sisse ends up being captured and kidnapped by a traitor in their midst, midst. and um, that's kind of where the Weatherlight Saga kicks off. There's a short story that was in a duelist about Sisse and her being kidnapped. So she's absent for most of the Tempest block until the crew rescues her, and then she leads them through the invasion. Uh, when it becomes clear they can't win against Phyrexia, Urza has this latch-ditch legacy weapon plan. It basically blows, uses all the legacy to blow Yagmoth straight to um, <clears throat> heck. And, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you can't, you can't blow him straight to hells cause that's back home. <laughs> cause to that's Frexia. where he's from. Frexia. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but Sisse, unlike many of the other characters who died along the way or died at the end, like Gerard, Sisse survives the legacy explosion. What's her new ship called? Oh, I forget. Geez. Victory. Yeah. That seems right. Cause like they won. Sisse is rewarded by the Coalition 
with uh, a new ship. I believe it's a regular sailing ship called the Victory and goes on more adventures along with Tangarth, who also survived, and Squee, who also survived because he's basically unkillable. Well, he's not he's not unkillable. He's very killable. He just comes back to life. He's undead stayable or something like that. Um, he's very entertaining. I love his form of immortality because he like respawns. We also know that Sisei ended up having a family at some point because we see in the future Shauna, uh, Sisei's legacy also exists. One of the cool things about this art as well is Sisei's redesign. She had like this weird collared bra outfit, essentially. Uh, it was it was very 90s fantasy. We'll just leave it at that. And this new wardrobe is very kind of true to the motifs of the old outfit, but without being quite so not something a human being would wear while captaining a ship. <laughs> not not quite so Xena warrior princess let's put it like that so I like the the new outfit a lot as well and she's got like a really cool pose going on there Anna Steinbauer who does really powerful women in magic like I love whenever she gets one of the iconic uh, magic characters from the past because she always does such a good job on them especially the ones that their original cards maybe like uh or their original design maybe weren't quite so practical. Yeah, and this card is awesome. This card was specifically designed as a Sisei Weatherlight Captain to be able to lead a commander deck and have all the Weatherlight crew members in them. So Gerard and Orem and Hannah and Karn and Tangarth and Squee and Stark, right? Stark! <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, <laughs> that's everyone's feeling about Stark. Technically, Volrath. Uh, I like like if you put Volrath in as in a Sisay deck, I I will give you bonus points for that because technically he was in the crew in Mercadian Masks. Technically, um, Urza as well. Technically, Urza. Yep. You have to put in Blind Seer though. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, funny you should mention Urza. Because I hear there's an Urza card in this set. What a great segue! It's almost like I planned that. <laughs> so, the next character we want to talk about is Urza, Lord High Artificer. This is, to a lot of people's surprise, an Urza card in this. So we actually got an ask about this right before Modern Horizons. We knew the new... Uh, Planeswalker would be new so we said no there would not be a new Urza Planeswalker card but turns out there is a new Urza legendary creature card which is just as cool this one's really good yeah I was laughing about that question and uh, Rosewater said no the other Planeswalker is new and everyone was like what you're not going to put Urza in this set and I'm just like just you wait people and now everyone's freaking out about this card. They think it should be insta-banned in Commander. They're trying to break it in I don't Modern, think it's powerful, trying to break but... it in Vintage. Look, the card is great. The card does so many cool things. I think it's very exciting. I think it's appropriately exciting for Urza. Like, like, like nobody hates Urza more than us. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it would be false to say that he's not one of the most important characters in Magic Story history. 
And I think it's appropriate to give him very powerful, exciting cards. That's just playing into the... Like, like people who aren't Vorthoses know at least who Urza is by name. And this card just is Urza. So Urza, this is Urza from the height of the Brothers' War or the Antiquities' War. It's it's known as both. Uh, the conflict was represented as a saga in the Antiquities' War. I had a fun ask about that on Tumblr. The Antiquities' War is the official in-world title of the epic poem that Caleb Ben Krug, Urza's wife, wrote about the event. So scholar, Dominarian scholars know the event as the Antiquities' War. The common name for it is the Brothers' War, because if you're not a scholar, all you really know about it is that these two jackass brothers fought each other and destroyed half the world. Like, it's it's weird, because I dug down, and both of those names appear at the same time in the original supplemental edition of The Duelist. In, uh, it was, uh, like, May 94, I think that was printed, right, Carrie? Yes, correct. And that's weird. Like, they went deep on those two names from the very beginning. So so it's cool that, like, in World, there is kind of the scholarly name for the war and the common folk name for the war. Because, like, that happens every day in our world, too. Like, it's both it's both World War One and the Great War and the War to End All Wars. And... and that part of human culture being translated into Dominaria that early is like super smart. I love it. I love that part of it and makes it feel like a real piece of like world building history. The Brothers War started basically over when um, Urza and Mishra were students of Takesha. They were exploring the mines at Koilos where they found this cool artifact. Um, and they take this thing out of the wall and it breaks in their hands and they're, they're trying to figure out which one's which and they realize these things have power. They discovered the Might Stone and Weak Stone, which was the part of that single artifact Brian was talking about. Basically what happened is Mishra and Urza coveted each other's half of the stone. Mishra tries to take Urza's and ends up killing Tokasia in the process. Mishra goes out into the desert. Urza returns to civilization. Uh, he ends up meeting Kayla bin Krug in the city of Krug in Argive and ends up finding another Thran artifact is being uh, offered to whoever can complete this challenge to win Kayla's hand. So he builds a construct in order to, to win her love. Uh, they end up getting married but he's not a very good husband. He's he's kind of crap in general. He's a terrible husband. He basically ignores his wife and only married her to get access to this Thran information. So we should we should note here that we could fill an entire episode with the Brothers War, but let's let's condense the war part of it down to uh, the two brothers end up between these two nations that were already heading into war. And then a series of misunderstandings between them led to more bitterness between them, besides just Takesha's death. In the midst of all this, a group called the Third Path, you might remember Felden of the Third Path, uh, and a woman named Loren discovers the Golgothian Silex. 
uh, Mishra's apprentice Ashnod ends up taking it from Loran after she's been kicked out from uh, his organization. And uh, she brings it back to win his favor again, but realizes that the he's being influenced by this brotherhood of Gix, which are secretly servants of Phyrexia because the artifact they took was a Thran artifact used to seal the gateway to Phyrexia. So this Phyrexian demon, this old, old school Phyrexian praetor named Gix was kind of manipulating things in the background in order to pave the way for a reconquest of Dominaria. The brothers end up strip mining the whole continent uh, and they their fight moves to this uh, lush island nation run by an elemental named Titania, who was kind of uh, like a, a marrow sorcerer. She was the spirit of the for- forest there. Um, on Argoth, Urza realizes his brother isn't even human anymore. He's been like fitted with this endoskeleton. Uh, he's just like flesh over uh, metal, essentially, like a Terminator body. And he in desperation, um, gets the Silex from his apprentice Thanos, who got it from Ashnod, who no longer believed in her master Mishra, and pours some magic into it, and it essentially devastates the continent. It cracks the island and completely destroys like the environment <laughs> and ushers in like the first ice age and that we that's what we see in Urza's ruinous blast Urza Lord High Artificer Lord High Artificer was his title when he was the de facto warlord r- ruler of Argive and its allies and yeah the I like the outfit with him because it references like the more modern Urza because if they had tried to stick to like the original Urza art, you wouldn't be able to tell it's Urza. Their Urza has like six different outfits over the course of Urza's saga, and people should not need a chart in order to figure it out. There was a chart anyway, though. There was a chart, and it was still confusing and inconsistent. So yeah, it's I, I like that it's referencing the later purple Urza robes. Uh, he's still got his early staff, though, the three-clawed staff, rather than some of the ones he has later, which is a neat touch. The artwork is cool. You can see the constructs he makes behind him. He makes the same construct as Karn in a, uh, uh, as, a, as an actual token card. They're literally using the Dominaria Karn token. If you look at the artwork, one of the constructs behind him has, looks like they have a mock sapphire on their chest, which is funny because one of Urza's abilities is essentially to turn to every artifact into a mock sapphire to tap for blue. So that was a neat touch as well in that art. Overall, I, I really like the art. Urza looks comes off powerful, but definitely looks like the tyrannical warlord he had essentially become by then in the story. The Silex Blast, as we see in Urza's Ruinous Blast, kicks off his millennia-long Cold War with Phyrexia and their leader, Yogmoth. So Yogmoth, Thran Physician, is another one of the cards we got in Modern Horizons here. Stupid, sexy Yogmoth. Oh, he's ridiculous. It's he's so pretty. He is so pretty. But um Mark Winters, who who did this illustration, um, and also was the AD for Dominaria, so so had a hand in designing the art for um, worked with Noah Bradley on uh, Yogma's vile offering. 
the uh, legendary sorcery. Um, both of them. So Mark Winters illustrated this and mentioned like uh, he designed Yogmoth's look here using the information. Uh, there was an old Inquest magazine that had a concept piece for Yogmoth that influenced Yogmoth's file offering, and both of those images influenced a lot of Yogmoth's design here. But he also looked back to the Thran novel where Yogmoth is described as being charismatic, reasonably attractive. Uh, Rebecca kind of falls for him. So, like, it's just canon. Like, stupid, sexy Yogmoth is just canon. And Mark, like, embraced it, and now this is a thing that exists, and I'm so happy. It is also very good because Urza ends up getting seduced by Frexia right at the end, and it's like, that's the final victory of stupid, sexy Yogmoth is seducing Urza. <laughs> that's how hot he gets I don't know if that's a victory you're getting Urza <laughs> well at that right. point it was just Urza's head so let's do the uh, five minute version of Yagmoth's history Yagmoth was a Thran healer who was exiled because he was what was called a, a eugenicist he essentially believed in medicine uh, which doesn't sound evil, but he used it for evil purposes. When he was exiled in order to gain power, he would cause these plagues, unleash plagues in these uh, tribal communities, and then swoop in as the savior. And when they start started to catch on to his, his manipulations, he would move on. He is eventually brought back to heal this famous artificer named Glacian, who was Rebecca, the woman we mentioned earlier, Rebecca's husband. Uh, he ends up having a thing for Rebecca and kind of keeps Glacian sick throughout the whole story in order to study the effects of this disease that was progressing in Glacian that we learn later wasn't really a disease at all, but um, a power stone growing inside him and essentially siphoning off pieces of his soul. So Yagmoth pulls the same trick with the Thran. The Thran have this... It's kind of a radiation sickness called physis. Um, and this is like this degenerative disease that they believe is caused by exposure to power stones. But then like Yagmoth starts inventing symptoms to get rid of the people he doesn't want around. <laughs> and they all get exiled uh, below to the caves of Koyalos. Meanwhile, he's offering a cure to the people in the caves in order to gain power with them. This is where he meets Gix. Yes. And so Gix is a human that works from him down below, but kind of hates him. Gix is a revolutionary from the untouchable class down below uh, the city of Halcyon. Yagmoth convinces the Thran that they have this manifest destiny. There's a Thran planeswalker that ends up building a uh, portal for him to this artificial plane where the planeswalker creator, who had taken the form of like a metal dragon, had just passed away. And he claims it for his own. It's kind of this mechanical paradise, honestly, uh, where the artificial life is almost indistinguishable from the real life. It's where dragon engines came from. He goes in there and starts bringing the people sick with physicists, or with physis. <laughs> He'd put them in pods and uh, secretly starts transforming them into early Phyrexians. The regular people uh, throughout the Empire 
catch wind because all these tribal um, species come and talk to them, like the minotaurs and the dwarves. And they're like, hey, this Yagamoth guy is bad news. And so it sets off this Thrand civil war that escalates until finally Yagmoth is detonating these weapons of mass destruction. Long story short, the Null Sphere, which he had intended to use to siphon off the energy so that it wouldn't destroy Halcyon in this final battle, uh, the Null Sphere gets sent into orbit and becomes the Null Moon, and this weapon of mass destruction he unleashed it threatens to kill both armies uh, at this last stand battle. And so Yogmoth is like, hey, if you want to live, come through the gate to Phyrexia. And so all these people end up escaping through to Phyrexia for Yogmoth to experiment on. They become the true Phyrexians that we'll see later. And then Rebecca uses the power stone that um, Yogmoth had been using to experiment on with Glacian to seal the portal behind him. And that's the artifact that becomes the Might and Meek Stone that Urza and his brother pick up much, much later. The Might and Weak Stone. Might and Weak Stone. I always get that mixed up because there's a Meek Stone too. Yeah, I don't know why someone designed and named a card Weak Stone when Meek Stone already existed. Or one or the other. I don't know which one was printed first. But like Weak Stone and Meek Stone are both magic cards and that's a problem. They're both bad (laughs) magic cards. That is correct. So this set also has a whole bunch of new things. Um, The sort of new thing, sort of old thing, is a legendary land called Hall of Heliod's Generosity, which is a deliciously ironic title because he's a terrible person. And this is kind of a riff on um, both Volrath Stronghold and Academy Ruins from Time Spiral. You can pay one and a white and tap it to put an enchantment card from your graveyard on top of your library. Academy Ruins did the same thing with an artifact. Volrath Stronghold did the same thing with a creature. So they've set up a cycle. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the future. I would like to see the cycle completed. But I like I like the flavor text on this one referencing Volrath Stronghold. Uh, the Stronghold of Theros's Light. And you can see in the temple there's like a, a setting sun inside the temple doors with Heliod up in Nyx above it. It's interesting. I don't think this is a known location um, on Theros. There's lots of temples all over. There are temples. Temples on Theros don't necessarily belong to one god all the time. There are lots of temples to many gods. Some temples have dedicated, or some gods have dedicated temples. This seems to be a temple dedicated to a specific aspect that people worship in Heliod even though it's an aspect he doesn't really have. Uh, People believe he has it. I think a lot of people will default to he was mean to Elspeth, so that is why he is not generous. But, like, don't forget that during the events of Godsend, he goes around and blinds all of his own priests as part of the punishment for, like, the events of the block when they had absolutely nothing to do with that. So... It's not, like, one controlled thing. He is a very, yeah, he is a very, very jealous god, and Daxos um, had pieced out long before then, so technically was no longer um, a disciple. What I'll say about it is I, I, I'm I not a fan of the name. It's so long. Me either. Oh, that, that is something. The, the name frustrates me to all get out because, dude, was generous. Like, we just said, we just talked about it, but it's just like, come on, man. 
it also just feels unnecessarily long as a card title, which I think Jay also has a gripe with. That's that's more of my problem. Like I I get I get the irony. It's 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 amusing to have a card like that. You know, it's like Yog Yogmoth. If it's like a Yogmoth card was Yogmoth's generous bargain or something, um, you know, we'd we'd get it. But uh, it, it's just a little long. It's out of sequence with like Volrath's stronghold and Academy ruins. I think it would have been cooler if it had referenced like the Sarah Sanctum card in some way. If not as Sarah, like Heliod Sanctum. Yeah. Yeah. So next up is Ethan Fleischer's pet card, Ayula, Queen Among Bears. People freaked out about Goreclaw last year in Core 2019 when she wasn't a bear tribal commander, even though she was a legendary bear, because she was not intended to be, because Ayula is the legendary bear that is supposed to be the bear tribal card. So uh, she's not a name we have heard before. She is brand new. She looks awesome. Allison Lors, who uh, led the creative text for the set, so she was my boss, mentioned that the flavor text on this card is kind of her love letter to the forests of the Pacific Northwest, uh, which is where she's from, and obviously where Wizards of the Coast is. So uh, I like that this card kind of gets to be this magic in-joke about 2-2 for twos being bears. And also references kind of like the environment where the company is and the people who make the game are. So it's it's meta on a lot of different levels, which I like. And I think people are excited for it. And uh, she's just a cool character. I'd like to like hear a story about like, why is she queen among bears? She has these fancy horn crowns. Uh, she has this power to boost other bears there's another card in the set, um, Ayula's Influence, that can create bears right out of, the, out of the land. Like, there's a story here, and I would like to hear it one day. I don't know if we will, but it's pretty cool. And I, I like when we get new characters that get to do things that hint at potential stories that could be awesome. Because those are the kind of characters that if fans respond well to do get to be added to future stories. That was essentially what Obnixilis did in a single line of flavor text. And now he's like in the big leagues as a magic villain. I like that it references the uh, Pacific Northwest. And I like that it references like where wizards and the people who make the game are without being something like giving the last name of your character or naming your character after like a neighborhood in your city. Yeah, so, Jaya Ballard. Yeah, referencing like the location is way better, way more subtle, but also very cool. Next up, we have Hogok, a risen necropolis, who is this gigantic avatar that you can't cast with any mana, which is fun. He has Convoke and Delve, and you can cast him from your graveyard, and he's a big 8 8 trample, and he's black and green. And uh, so. So the cool, like, he's completely new. We know literally nothing about him. Um, But what's really cool about his art, this is by Vincent Prose, who also did the art for Diagraph Colossus back in the Shadows Over Innistrad block. That card got a lot of renown for its its, its visual identity of being this gigantic shambling zombie monster who was actually made out of tiny little corpses. Hogak gets to kind of do that joke again but like way more intense and has like a gravestone crown 
and like a more skeletal face face so there's like actual facial features on him um so, so i like i like that there was something in magic's artistic past that like people really connected with and enjoyed and got to be turned up a little higher for this card there are moments like that where um it, it's still self-referential to magic but to like this very niche specific thing and i think that's really cool Next, we have Morophon the Boundless, who is a legendary changeling. Changelings in this set um, are not set on Lorwyn. They're just kind of grape jelly monsters. One of them does reference to Kasia, so maybe they're on Dominaria. We don't know. Again, Morophon is new. We don't know anything about them, but they get to be the changeling lord for any creature type. And this art is just weird. The Morophon's got a human-ish face and, like, elephant tusks, but also huge moose antlers and lots of, like, limbs growing out of their back. And, like, you can see through their body to, like, a heart-like organ, but there's no other organs. It's, like, the most bizarre-looking thing. Um, Victor Adame Minguas did a phenomenal job just making a bizarre creature that could be anything. That's a tough ask, and I think he crushed it. I think my only real comment on this is that I love the possibility this represents for a lot of like tribal commanders just having a kind of default to go to, and that's valuable in and of itself. What's going to plague us forever, I feel like, is people just recommending him as the default tribal commander or an excuse to not make a default tribal commander for a specific tribe. And I don't look forward to that, but I think it's worth it for people being able to play weird stuff like advisors or archers in any of the five colors they want to. They can just smack this guy down and have a free commander, a commander lord. That, well, what I like about it is uh, because it's much better than Corona in that regard because (laughs) the color identity is not in the casting cost. I think that's all we need to say about it. You you can build a Morophon deck and not have it be all five colors. It doesn't have to be five colors. Nothing on Morophon requires you to pay all five colored mana. I appreciate that Ivan Ooze got his own magic card. I know. It's Morophon time. <laughs> I made an Ecto Morophon <laughs> joke on Twitter because I'm old. Oh my gosh. The next legend is the one I'm probably most excited about the first sliver. Slivers got me into magic. I'm super excited about them. This card has a lot of implications about Slivers as a tribe in the multiverse. I have lots of ideas about how Slivers got to Wrath and especially how they got to Chandelar. And this card kind of implies that there is a single plane with a single Sliver that is the progenitor of all other Slivers in the multiverse. That they are not a creature type that has evolved on multiple planes like goblins or humans or Vidalcan or dragons. That they are from a single specific plane and through some kind of means throughout time have proliferated across the multiverse. Which is so weird! Like, ah! I mean, when you think about the history of Slivers, when you think about them getting, like, the Weatherlight running into them on Wrath where Valrath had taken some from somewhere and brought the queen to the stronghold like one could have easily stoned away on some on the weatherlight at some point and gotten taken somewhere like it's not too far-fetched especially since 
like the Phyrexians had this kind of weird magic that wasn't planeswalking, but technically was. But they had the planar gates, yeah, yeah. And like, I'll I'll go deeper into my ideas about Chandelar um, another time. My favorite theory for how they got there involves wonky metaphysics, but like slivers f- uh, often fill in the invasive species trope. So the fact that they've like just kind of accidentally or or like with purpose been brought somewhere else, but then ran out of control, like they just play into that invasive species narrative. So kind of tethering them to a single origin is kind of cool in that regard, because like you could in theory do like a whole history of sliver migration and oopsie daisies who ruin this plane with slivers because they're invasive and domineering and that's pretty cool so i i would like to hear more about the first sliver one day and then finally our our new planeswalker uh planeswalkers ren and six ren is a dryad she is a pyromantic growth oriented nature being but she doesn't walk around on her own. She, like many dryads in magic, she exists attached to plants, kind of like Tristani does. What Ren does, though, because she's a planeswalker and needs to like travel around the multiverse, is she has kind of grafted herself onto a tree folk mech unit, which she names six. She doesn't bother giving them names. They are uh they are expendable, that her tree folk mechs. Uh, we don't know if the tree folk mechs are planeswalkers too, or if they're just tree folk that she bonds to and then can thus planeswalk yet. That hasn't been explained yet. Like, it's really cool though. She's so cool. Ah, I love her so much. Chase Stone did awesome on this art. Like, you can see all the glowy, fiery energies in Ren's body. Um, you can see the parts of six around Ren's body are all charred and burning. And the only, like, lush growth is on Six's head and shoulders and elbows um, farther away from Ren. Knees and toes. Knees and toes. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Ren has such a cool character concept. And we don't know anything really about her personality yet. I I would like, I'm, I'm really bummed that this set isn't coming to Arena. Like... There's no way in hell it would ever be on Arena, but like I kind of wish it was so I would get to write Ren and Six because I, I I think being able to finally tell her story would be neat. Uh, Ren is Ren is neat. I hope we see her. Um, I hope we get more story from her. Like she's she's very cool, very unique. She's very cool. I I really like the concept. It's awesome that she walks around with these tree mechs. She just looks amazing. It is a little sad because we've got a lot of planeswalkers here and we don't know when they're going to be appearing in the next story. So I hope we get to see them again or see these newcomers again soon because Ren and Six makes, I don't know the exact count, but like five or six planeswalkers. Uh, who we only have just a tiny bit of lore on. So I'm really hoping we get to see more of her soon. Tree mechs are cool. I'm going to call six Epion. <laughs> isn't that isn't she more of like um, Escaflone? Weren't those like living mech things? I don't I don't know. I never really watched it. Let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought of the week is I am very excited for the Godzilla movie this weekend. 
And if you saw it, come chat with me about it on Twitter or our Discord, because we're going to be talking about big monsters for a while. That's true facts. By the time y'all are going to be listening to this episode, I will also have seen Godzilla. It is the movie I am most excited for this year. Um, like, <laughs> we get we get to go Friday, you know, Thursday I get to reveal my long con on Merit Lage. Friday we get to reveal the entire Modern Horizon set. Saturday I get to see Godzilla. Sunday gets to be, I guess, my day off. And then Monday, this episode that is happening right now gets to be out. So this this has been a good a good bunch of days for me. I'm very excited. My final thought is that while Sisei's card is super sweet, I almost kind of wish it was Gerard instead. Reasons being is that I feel like he was also tasked with finding parts of the legacy. And while Sisei was ultimately in charge of it, um, captaining the Weatherlight, I feel like most of his quests were related to finding the pieces, and he does get... I feel like the the flavor would have fit for him as well, becoming stronger as each of the pieces were brought together um, with the Weatherlight, so I would not have been super upset if Gerard had gotten this card instead of Sisse, and it still would have fit as far as my... in my head as far as a flavor fit. But Sisei's card is sweet, um, and I'm hoping Gerard eventually gets a, a, a good card, because, God, his current card sucks. Yeah, between <laughs> between Miri and now uh, Sisei, it seems like they're committed to doing that kind of thing. Uh, uh, my final thought is that I uh, lost power for most of this episode, but it's fine, because I didn't have anything to say anyway, so uh, you wouldn't know the difference. We love you, Ashley. <laughs> My final thought is it has been six weeks since they said that they would have an MTG portal announcement in a few <laughs> weeks. <laughs> and still here, still waiting. I've shifted from an ironic joking stance on this to like unironically just like we will probably have the Vorthos cast merch produced and shipped and in listeners hands before this portal app comes out even though it was advertised in guilds of ravnica so yeah we're getting there (laughs) so however we end up doing this merch thing uh we're still figuring that out um if you want to support our show now today anyway you can head over to patreon.com slash the vorthos cast everyone who donates gets access to our Discord community where we have Vorthoses from around the world discussing all the exciting new cards revealed in sets, the wealth of magic story you have right now. We have both web fiction. We have the Django Wexler story starting soon. Uh, We've got another novel coming eventually. We've got more regular sets in the future. There's just so much happening right now, and uh, our Discord server is a place where you can hang out with other people who care about it just as much as you do. So if that is something that interests you, and you enjoy our show, and you like our ability to make an episode every week, head over to Patreon and uh, help us out there. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.